my name is Julian Chambliss. I'm a professor of English and History at Michigan State University, as well as a core faculty in the Critical Diversities in a Digital Age Initiative. I also serve on the Academics Committee for the Zoya Hurston Festival as one of the national planners for the event. I will be your host for this episode of Every Tongue's Got to Confess. The purpose of the podcast series is to explore issues facing communities of color globally by listening to the voices of attendees at the Zoya Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities. Founded by the Association's Preserve Inville community, the Zora Festival has an educational aim. Since its founding, the festival has celebrated the life and work of Zora Neale Hurston, commemorated the historic significance of Edenville, Florida, and honored the global cultural contributions made by people of African ancestry. Every Tongue Got to Confess is a podcast designed to document the dynamic discussions about education, enterprise, institution, and activism intrinsic to the ideology that founded Eatonville and shaped its most famous daughter. This production is a joint project among the Association to Preserve Eatonville Community, Rollins College's Africa and African American Studies program, and the Department of History at the University of Central Florida. Public history graduate student Holly Baker sat down with the Director of Public History, Dr. Scott French, and graduate student Grimaud McPherson at the University of Central Florida. In the interview, they talked with Holly about their exhibit highlighting the Association to Preserve Edenville Community, Inc., or PEC, and their grassroots efforts to promote and protect Edenville. Let's listen to their conversation. I'm Grimaud McPherson. I'm a graduate student here at UCF studying Black urban history. I'm Scott French. I'm an associate professor of history and director of public history at UCF. Uh, Grimaud, I know that you and Dr. French took part in the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities Communities Conference this year, and you talked about your exhibit. Could you tell me about your exhibit? What's the title of it, and what was it about? Well, essentially the title was Why Not Us? Exploring History and Legacies of Grassroots Advocacy and Infrastructural Citizenship in Edenville. I wanted to highlight the organization, the Association to Preserve the Edenville Community. Uh, within their first decade of existence, uh, highlighting the role they played preventing the widening of Lake Avenue and Kennedy Boulevard in Edenville and Maitland. The role they played regarding that, kind of a grassroots organization uh, having success against Orange County, Florida. Uh, I highlighted kind of uh, between the period of 1987 and 1993 by attending public meetings, by lobbying, and by eventually suing Orange County. The residents, these are common local people, uh, along with outside supporters, are gathering support uh, for the calls. The reason why I use the term infrastructure citizenship is it's, it's generally a term uh, used to essentially highlight how ordinary residents can uh, make their voices heard, have an impact in the changes that take place in their community. So I essentially wanted to highlight that in Eatonville. That's very cool. How do you see Eatonville in dialogue with other black communities? What I study with black communities, uh, oftentimes black communities face different infrastructural threats and oftentimes, despite their best efforts, they're unsuccessful in achieving these because many times they lack the resources compared to white communities in achieving their goals. But what I found interesting about Edenville was that the PEC not only had the resources to hire an independent traffic engineer to study the proposed route, they actually hired their own lawyers and they were successful. How do you think it compares to Paramore? With Paramore, uh, while you have the, the passion of people who uh, have been active in protesting things like the Amway Center or even 
uh, now UCF downtown. You need people who uh, have money to hire lawyers, that sort of thing. You also need people who are dedicated to a cause for the long term. Many times people are on working jobs, that sort of thing. They can't put their full energies into certain calls. So many times as with Paramore, Paramore has really gotten concessions or so maybe things like restricting traffic through their neighborhood during events or other type of concessions, but it's not really the full effects such as stopping a five-lane widening of a road through Edenville. So kind of the comparison of having more resources available to them than many other black communities like Paramore. How did your internship shape your experience? I'm a native of Alabama, so essentially I moved to Florida in 2016, and really when I got here, I had no knowledge of Edenville whatsoever. And even after being here my first year of graduate school, Outside of really the knowledge of Edenville being the first historical incorporated black town, I didn't really know a ton of information about Edenville. So the internship essentially gave me an opportunity to learn more about Edenville, learn about the history. It was very enlightening for me to learn more about this. And at least for, for my own personal research, to find a successful example of African-American communities like Edenville being successful in uh, overturning proposed infrastructure changes that many black communities don't have the fortune to overcome. What do you say that you've learned from your internship? Well, essentially, kind of, I've mentioned before, the history of Edenville, especially within the last 30 years, the PEC being a successful example of this resistance. And probably more importantly for me, the, the value of research, uh, I got opportunities to uh, look at public records, looking at the Orlando Center newspaper databases, or looking at uh, Maitland City, Orange County uh, uh, meeting minutes, and also Edenville town minutes to kind of have a first-hand perspective of what was actually going on during the time period. And kind of enhancing my abilities as a researcher to be able to research information and the benefit of like public history with collaborating with an organization like PEC because with my research is often tied to not only the objective data but also personal contact and being in communication with, with individuals so that's kind of the big takeaway that I took away from the internship. Great well Dr. French I know you've been researching the community origins of Eatonville uh, could you tell me about some of your findings about the many narratives concerning the community's beginnings? Sure. Well, most of the history of Eatonville comes to us through Zora Neale Hurston. She talked about the origins of the town in her autobiography, Dust Tracks on a Road, and she collected folklore from Eatonville, and she wrote fiction about Eatonville. Their eyes were watching God. And so the way the history of the town has come to us is largely filtered through her accounts, her written accounts. And I was interested in doing archival research to learn more about the founding era, the, the generation that created Eatonville as an independent black township. How did it come to be and, and who, who were the key players? And I think we knew a little bit about the African-American leaders of that effort. Joe Clark is the most famous of, of those people because he wrote about that in the Eatonville Speaker. Um, but he also mentioned in, in, an, in an editorial the efforts of several white patrons, one of whom was Louis Lawrence of Utica. And uh, Clark called Lawrence a whole-souled philanthropist and really credited him with helping to create the conditions that allowed Eatonville to become an independent township. I wanted to know more about Lawrence, and so I've spent the last couple of years researching him. He's from Utica. I went to Utica and learned that he was the uh, proprietor of a newspaper there, a radical Republican newspaper. And there are two years of that newspaper in the Utica Public Library, not scanned, you have to go there. Um, so I went there, I met with his descendants, I found uh, volumes that gave me the backstory on him. And he's a very fascinating man. He was a, uh, an abolitionist and he 
was also a very strong temperance man. So he was involved in, in many reform efforts. So when he came to Florida, he brought those ideas with him. That's what I'm trying to do, is understand all the different directions, all the, the ideas and visions that the founding uh, members of Eatonville, those white and black partners uh, in the creation of Eatonville, where did they come from and what did they hope would come of Eatonville? What would they make there? What kind of community would be born there? What do you hope that people take away from the exhibit that you curated with Grimond? Well, the great thing about it is Grimond's work is really the heart of it. It's the first decade, really, of Preserve Eatonville community, the grassroots efforts to save the town. But we also attempted to fill in the history that may not be widely known and explain what is being preserved. Why is there Preserve Eatonville community? because the people there want to preserve the history of the town, the history, the culture. And so you have the founding era, you have the Hungerford School, which was a out of the Tuskegee model of African-American education, and it drew students from throughout the South, and you have Zora. And so I think what was neat about it was the exhibit allowed me to bring my research into one part, Grimond to highlight his new research on the preservation campaign, and then the third component was created by the curator of the museum who was really looking at the festival, the history of the festival. What draws you back to the Zorro Noah Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities each year? I'm a member of the Academics Committee, and so we meet throughout the year to program, to create the program. The themes come from the National Committee, and it falls upon us as members of the local committee, the scholars who are members of that committee, to make sure that the festival, that the academic conference that is part of the festival, that that comes together. And what's exciting for me is it's new every year. There's a different theme, and the speakers bring something new to it. And I think also what I like about it is surprises. This year I was really excited to watch a, a presentation by the Eatonville Historic Garden Club. I'm not sure I have the title exactly right, but they brought in bushels, barrels full of fresh produce that they had grown as part of a community garden and talked about the importance of the land and backyard gardens. And for me, that really connected with the origins of Eatonville, that this was a self-sustaining community. They were, had work that took them outside the community. They had ties to employers, perhaps in Winter Park and Maitland, but they were in many ways self-sufficient. They grew their own food and they had truck gardens. And so for me, it was that connection of past and present. Very exciting, and I didn't see that coming. When I looked at the program, I thought it looked interesting, but boy, when I went, I was really moved. That's cool. Is there anything that either of you would like to add before the interview concludes? Well, I think it's just taking the opportunity just to uh, be thankful for the opportunity to be able to participate in both this podcast and the internship uh, working with uh, UCF faculty, especially uh, my advisor, Dr. Castanello, Dr. French, uh, Dr. Chambliss at Rollins, and uh, with the PUC, uh, Ms. M. Theory, and others uh, at the PUC who were very warm and open to me. So I just want to take the opportunity to thank them. That's great. Well, I just am happy that you are giving us this opportunity through the podcast to talk about our work. Uh, this is the second year of the podcast, and I've really enjoyed listening to them. There's so many ways to connect to the festival, and that's what I hear in the podcast. And I, I hope people will give a listen, uh, not just to this podcast, but to some of the others that are posted online. Thank you both for talking to me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Every Time Got to Confess podcast. Holly Baker and I produced this podcast with support from the UCF Department of History and the African African American Studies Program at Rollins College. 
Be sure to find the rest of the episodes by searching for us online and subscribing to us on iTunes. Thank you.